88.1 WKNC. I'm Virginia Werewolf. Uh, you just heard Walking Shapes within the Wake. And as promised, I'm here in the studio with Greg Lowenhagen from Hopscotch. How you doing? Hey, how are you? Pretty good. Uh, I guess we should start talking about this year's festival. Um, I thought we might start with some of the business ends of things. Um, first of all, I guess one of the biggest uh, differences with um, this year, as opposed to some of the previous years, is that um, Etix is a partial owner. Is that correct? Actually, um, it, it, this year is a little bit different in terms of uh, the way we're structured on the business side. So it's probably a good place to start. Um, it, as we've talked about before, now we're heading into our sixth year of Hopscotch. This September 10th through 12th will be our sixth annual Hopscotch Festival in downtown. And uh, it started when I was an employee at the Independent Weekly. And um, I was uh, working there and came up with the idea and then sort of ran the idea by the owner at the time, his, the founder of the newspaper was his name Steve Shule. Um, he's a, a guy who is a professor at Duke now and is uh, is on the Durham City Council. But he was he was the founder and owner of the uh, Indie Week, and I was an employee. And I came up with the idea, and I kind of ran it by him and, and the publisher at the time, Sue Watts, Watson, and my boss um, Gloria Mock, and and we all got together for lunch. And he liked the idea enough to say he would back it. So from there, we just started planning it. I recruited Grayson Curran, who was the music editor and, and friend of mine. And, and next thing you knew, we were off and running. In 2009, we started that. Can't believe it was 2009, but we started planning in 2009. And we had the first three festivals were all underneath the Indies umbrella. So we were just sort of like a division of the independent. And then in 2000, uh, following the 2012 edition of Hopscotch, which was our third festival, Steve decided he was going to sell the paper um, after a long time. Um, and when he sold the paper, he approached uh, myself, he pr- approached me about b- buying um, my share, you know, trying to figure out how to keep it going on our own without selling it to the new owners of the independent. And so I went out and got a loan and decided to take a little bit of a risk. And for two years, um, which is the 2013 and 2014 editions of Hopscotch, the last two years, I've been the primary um owner along with Steve Shule, who was the original backer. And, um, you know, what became clear in those two years, not only was it my first time owning a small business, but um, we, we were taking significant risk. You know, the festival had grown from 2010 each year, which was always a good sign that, you know, we were selling more tickets and we had more bands and um, the response had been tremendous and we were grateful for that. But at the same time, I felt like I had started to wade slowly into the territory of taking significant risks that I wasn't sure I should be taking um, in terms of the outlay of of the cost of putting on the event. So what I did um, about 16 months ago is I started to think of uh, ways that we might be able to raise some capital and uh, and to find some investment money in order to help us, you know, lessen that burden, a burden that had become pretty great on my shoulders and and kept me up at night, many nights, particularly in the summer leading up to the festival. So, uh, I I approached uh, a variety of people from local folks that, you know, invest in startups to, um, some people that are in the real estate business to people are in the music business. And what ended up kind of becoming clearer as I, as I went through that process, which was the first time I had done it was sort of three groups emerged as people that were very interested and familiar with hopscotch and familiar and potentially investing in hopscotch and where we ended up, um, which was right after this past edition in September. So we ended up, um, I ended up meeting the founder of Etix, which of course is a local company in Morrisville. And they had been our ticket provider for the past 
five years, all five years of the festival. So we had a close relationship with the company, but um, Travis Janovich is his name. He was, he was the owner and I finally met him and he had been to many hopscotches and he'd really liked what we were doing. And compared to the other groups uh, who were interested in investing and or buying the festival, I just felt, and, and so did Steve, that uh, they, they represented the best of our interests in terms of being a local group. Um, they weren't sort of a monolithic, you know, huge concert company um, or promoter that, you know, um, may have come off wrong to our fans. And so what they did was um, Travis Janovich and two other guys that work at Etix, they started a small LLC, a small company called Hopscotch Presents, and they were the group that ultimately ended up purchasing Hopscotch from Steve and I. We actually aren't owned by Etix. I think a lot of people through the reports early on thought that we've been acquired by Etix. I mean, it might be six and one half dozen the other. It may not matter, but it's actually just the, you know, it's kind of an entrepreneurial play on Travis's part and these two other guys taking similar risks that Steve and I had taken for the past five years and decided to um, come in, you know, see what they could do in terms of enhancing the experience, um, you know, growing it, making sure that it's stable. And, um, and we're in the first year of that experiment, of course, but you know, um, we're really happy about the guys that, that we're working for, that I'm working for, and, and it's it's been interesting because I'm back in the seat of having a boss and things like that, but it's also a comfortable seat because I know I'm not fully uh, on the hook for all the dollars at the end of the day, which has been uh, a big relief. A lot of people have asked me, like, did you get rich or what did you sell it for? And, and the reality is that's none of that. I didn't sell it for a lot of money. I mean, it was still um, – in startup mode when we, when we uh, unloaded it and the deal didn't get done until February, but it, I feel sort of rich cause I no longer have any debt. Mm-hmm. So it's been, it's been exciting in that way that I just, I've been able to pay off the loan that I took to keep hopscotch afloat for the two past years. And now I feel like the company itself is in a stable place in a place that Steve and I really weren't going to be able to get it to on our own. Cool. So, I guess ultimately you believe that those initial risks um, and subsequent collaborations paid off in the end so that Hopscotch can be more of a long-lasting force in the Raleigh community? I hope so. I I think so. I mean, I I think that um, that was the goal. I think all along, anybody who's been involved, it's been such a shoestring sort of do it on our own. I mean, you know, people probably don't realize like the office is still my kitchen. You know, and we have one other full-time employee who's actually Gloria Mock, who used to be at the Independent and was their, uh, the, the head of their sales at the Indy is now our director of development. So her and I are the only two people that still work on Hopscotch full-time. And Nathan Price, who just showed up late from his day job, actually, has a full-time job in Durham, uh, helps me book the festival and every other waking hour that he's awake and not at his regular job. So we're still sort of a very tiny shop. Um, the new owners didn't turn around, you know, wisely didn't invest, you know, millions into, we don't suddenly have a staff of 10 and, um, you know, we're kind of operating the same way we've always operated. And I think anybody who's been involved from the beginning, whether it's Steve or Grayson or anyone at the Indy, I think they're happy that it's, it's still here. And I think that they're happy that it's gotten to a place that, you know, knock on wood is, is, is set up for another five, 10, 15 years. I mean, it'd be a shame if anything else would happen now that Raleigh's finally turning the corner and becoming the city it's become, um, right. it'd be nice to see Hopscotch continue, and we expect it to continue to be part of that growth. So with that being said, where um, what is the five-year plan? Where do you see you guys in a couple of years from now? Well, it's a great question. It's something that I brought up about a month ago on email because the reality is that the deal was reported publicly in the Independent and uh, the Triangle Business Journal and some other places about it 
a month or six weeks before it was actually completed. So um, I felt kind of good about that as the seller because I felt then that Travis was going to have a tough time backing out because it was already public. But I also, um, you know, Nathan can attest to this. We've been working on Hopscotch 2015 since, you know, October of last year, late September, right after the other festival ended, the last festival. But we weren't sure where the ownership was going to lie, whether it was going to be Steve and I again taking one more crazy risk to try it all over again because actually Hopscotch 2014 was successful. You know, and it was the first time we'd made significant money um, on the festival. And by significant money, it wasn't very much. But compared to what we've been making, uh, it was it felt like us turning the corner a bit. So, you know, Steve was kind of, uh, you know, he was sort of pushing to like, maybe we should just do it again one more time. And then, of course, you know, Steve isn't working on it every day and then staying up at night in the summer worrying about the bottom line. So I, I decided that it was best to sort of... Um, do the move we made and, 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 you know, and we haven't even had time because it was mid February when the deal was finally signed that we haven't had time to actually sit down and talk about our three to five year plan yet. The new owners have been pretty clear about a few things. One, they didn't want to mess with the booking process, which was important in this first year. And they actually want to kind of lay back and just observe for one cycle, if you will, of all the ticket sales, all the sponsorship sales, the production and execution of the event, all the ways that we'll probably start really talking five-year plans this September and, and really start to look at what the options are for us. But recently it's been so hectic and we were in the middle of booking. We probably had 50% of the festival booked before the purchase was even done. So it's just more been us trying to whirlwind, get you know 140 bands together for the weekend that's coming up. Right. So if if not in a more uh, outlined approach, uh, what what in your wildest dreams do you see uh, Hopscotch becoming later on? Are you thinking more of something um, in a format similar to something like South by Southwest with lots of other industry possibilities or more in the format that it currently exists and seems think, to thrive? I think my dream scenario would be the same it was when we started, right. which was can we produce a downtown-centered event that's super fan friendly that's locally based still in the sense that there's 30 35 40 percent of the bands hailing from the triangle in north carolina while still bringing in artists from really all over the world now and the rest of the country and 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 keep it as low-key non-corporate as possible keep it stress-free as possible um for the attendees of course um and and just have it survive i mean it, it, it i'm sure the new owners will say they, they have different plans in terms of bottom line because it's their now their money and I, you know we've always had we've never had grand visions i don't think anybody thinks hopscotch is going to get anybody rich mm-hmm. you know i just don't think that was ever that was never the intention and i don't think it's the new intention and i don't think it's ever going to be the intention it's not set up that way i mean people on uh you know our fans and, and some of the sponsors and stuff that don't aren't on the inside like i've been from the beginning don't see it you know sometimes i've Got to remind people what's interesting about our model, which makes it a really terrible business model, actually, is that once we sell tickets and once we sell uh, any sponsorships and partnerships that that we contract each year, we don't get really anyone else's money. We sell some beers in City Plaza, but the rest of the dollars spent by attendees are really benefiting the city of Raleigh from the restaurants to the stores to the hotels, sort of every dime spent after people have purchased a ticket with us online, then funnels out to the com- community. It's a little different than if we had a Bonnaroo or a, you know, a, a field somewhere set up where we'd fenced everybody in and then sold them all the beer they drink and all the food they ate and all those types of things, all the camping that they do. I mean, we don't have a lot of ancillary 
uh, revenue streams. We basically sell tickets and we sell sponsorships and we hope we do enough of that each year to do another hopscotch. I mean, ideally we would probably make $250,000, $300,000 a year in profit, just enough to kind of put in the bank for a rainy day and say, let's do it again. And I think that um, that's an important um, you know, goal for us to just is sustainability is still a goal. Right. So uh, you mentioned some of the economic impact and benefit of the festival on the city, but earlier you also mentioned how, uh, how Raleigh is kind of turning a corner, implying that we're, com- we're becoming more of a, I guess, art center. What do you think Hopscotch, or what do you think the biggest thing Hopscotch brings to the Raleigh community in general, whether it be economic or art-centric? Well, I think it does bring a a pretty large economic impact, and we've got to do a better job, and I'm going to try and do that this year of of measuring that. I'm going to get an independent group to come in and see, because, again, um, we've had had help there from the Greater Raleigh uh, Visitor and Convention Convention and Visitors Bureau who've helped us before with putting together uh, a a picture. But the GRCVB is interesting because they're really measuring money coming in from outside of Wake County, and we have so many fans here. Uh, within Wake County, like friends of mine who live six blocks from downtown end up getting a hotel room for three nights just because it's their sort of stay in town vacation. And and so there's a lot of money that's funneling in from people here locally. So we want to get a more accurate, you know, grand picture of, of what that impact is. And that's, I think that's hopefully going to be done with a professor here at NC State that I'm <laughs> going to be in contact with soon that apparently is very good at doing that. Um, so that's one thing. I, in terms of the impact, I mean, I think some of it's intangible that you'd have to ask bands and fans and bars and, you know, other people in the community. Cause it's hard for me on the inside to answer that question. I do think we still are doing something that's unlike anything in Raleigh. Um, despite, you know, arts closure this weekend, they changed their footprint, put it on Fayetteville street. And it was a, a tremendous weekend from what I could tell. I was down there for one night and it looked like a really positive, uh, change for arts closure and a really great event. That's, that's in the spring, you know, um, there's so many other things in the fall now. The African-American Cultural Festival, which started the same year as Hopscotch, has stuck around and done a great job. There's Sparkon. There's the, now there's the new Bluegrass Festival, which I think is going into year three. All these things are, have their own identity and, and, and add a lot to downtown. And I think Hopscotch is very similar in that we're unlike any of those events, and we are really sort of unlike any event in the South um, now with the addition of our design festival, which we added last year, and... Um, the fact that we have 140 bands in three days, the fact that people are downtown at 11 in the morning at the bars for noon day parties that start and are hanging out and eating, running around sort of 24-7 all the way until 2 a.m. when our official club shows end. I think that sort of experience and footprints, unlike anything else, Raleigh has, and it's and it's not easy to replicate, to be honest. And then there's also the fact that look at all the apartments that are coming. I mean, I was thinking the other day when we started Hopscotch, there, you know, Ashley Christensen had pools, you know, and now she's about to open Death and Taxes and, the, you know, the, the new event space above it. And she's got, you know, three places on the corner of Wilmington Street and Kings hadn't reopened yet. There was no Neptunes. Garland wasn't open. There was no, you know, half block Raleigh Times. There's no Beat Amanda. There was all these businesses. There's no Bluegrass Fest. There's all these things that have emerged and will continue to emerge and, and come into picture more and more as the population continues to boom. And I think it really just means good things. Um, there's a lot of things to discuss when a city grows, of course, um, and there's going to be a lot of challenges that come with it in the next five years. But uh, we think we've, we've carved a place that is, uh, is good, and we feel good about um, what, what we add to the community. 
Well, I'm sure a lot of people uh, here at this university are excited to hear about that scientific study going into play. Um, I think at this point we're going to play a couple tracks from artists uh, from this coming lineup, and we'll get Nathan on the mic, and we'll talk more about that in general. Uh, this one is from Mitski. It's called Townie. Keep it locked. 88.1 WKNC. Uh, that was Natalie Prass with Bird of Prey, um, a performer who I happened to catch at this year's Fuzz Fest recently in Winston-Salem, and it was a pretty amazing set. Um, she released a record very recently off of Space Bomb Records from Richmond, um, who also happens to have Matthew E. White on the roster, which is very good stuff, and uh, played a really awesome set at Hopscotch um, a couple years ago. And Natalie Prass will be performing with the Space Bomb Orchestra uh, at this year's Hopscotch, um, which I am particularly excited about. Um, so, after all that, uh, I'm here in the studio with Greg and Nathan from Hopscotch Music Festival. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the bands um, playing this year. Uh, who are you guys most excited about, personally? Um, I think that we're both really excited on Sheer Mag. <laughs> we kind of yeah, me too. Like something we were a little obsessed with earlier in the year while we were booking this thing. Um, Blacks really want to see that one um some of the a lot of the smaller stuff um is really exciting this year bully is one that i kind of got really into um while we were doing the bios and everything else um z's is going to be a good one kind of experimental stuff from greg fox from guardian alien and liturgy and some other great bands um i mean we i could pretty much just go through the entire lineup (laughs) (laughs) any standouts for you greg yeah, I think um, I think there's obvious um, points starting at the top that were that I've been really excited about. One being Dwight Yoakam. Yeah, uh, you know I'm not sure we've had we've had Rock and Roll Hall of Famers before with Public Enemy. We've had um, a you know a late night band and a famous hip hop group in the Roots. We've had the Flaming Lips do a pretty remarkable show in the Plaza. Um, you know Spoon and St. Vincent as a combination last year was pretty incredible in Raleigh City Plaza downtown, but. I don't think we've had anybody that's sold as many records or is probably just flat out as famous as Dwight Yoakam is, which is interesting and cool. We wanted to do a country night for the first time. We're in our sixth year, and we've done hip-hop. Uh, we've done indie rock. We've done uh, – we did a DJ up there with A-Track. Metal. Um, we we did metal last year with uh, Mastodon. So, you know, we just – we wanted to do something different, and we, we thought that it was just a good year. Bands like uh, His Golden Messenger and American Aquarium are two of the bigger up-and-coming local bands, and so American Aquarium's going to uh, open that show. Um, we were able to get X, the legendary L.A. punk band that Dwight Yoakam actually, when he left Nashville, frustrated in the mid-'80s and drove out to L.A. to keep playing music where he was kind of sick of the established country scene that was in Nashville. He was opening for bands like X and Husker Du and, and bands in Los Angeles. He was just going into, I mean, he's like a honky-tonk guy going into punk clubs and playing sets, which is about as punk a thing as you could do. So what's cool is that X is going to now open for Dwight Yoakam on our main stage. I think that's going to be a pretty special night. Um, TV on the radio, of course, is just like one of the most critically you know, lauded you know, indie rock bands of the last 10 years. They put out a record in November, I think, that I liked, and... Um, that's going to be a great headlining show. Um, Pusha T, who's on Kanye's label, 
Will there uh, be a collaboration? Uh, Pusha T is actually going to play. The, he's going to play the Lincoln. Oh yeah. So he won't be on the main stage. So he'll be headlining the Lincoln with Father and Chaz French, and that's going to be a pretty big hip hop bill. But you know, I lo- I love Pusha T stuff. I've loved it since the Clips. I think the Clips early Clips records are like bona fide Southern rap classics. And now he's only just ten times bigger than he was with the Clips. So him. Um, and then there's a bunch of smaller stuff. I'm really proud and happy that we got a guy named uh, Ian William Craig who is new to me. Um, in the six-month period from the last hopscotch to this hopscotch. He's a professor in Canada, and he makes these really, I mean, it's almost hard to describe how beautiful and strange they are, these soundscape sort of tape hiss, um, long-form, you know, experimental records, but he's also a trained opera singer, and so he can sing like crazy, and he puts those things together, and it ends up being real dreamy, and he's going to have a cool opening set in Fletcher, kind of con- continuing a tradition of having smaller but really interesting and very good uh, early sets in Fletcher Opera Theater during um, Hopscotch Weekend. There's another artist from Asheville that's sort of the same. I'm kind of blown away by his voice. His uh, band is called May Irwin, and this is a band that I have no idea that, especially in this climate these days with Bon Iver and other bands being kind of big with the singer-songwriter sort of folk thing, there's this band in Asheville called may Irwin that no one seems to know about that is just crazy good i think i mean i don't haven't only heard i've heard like three <laughs> songs but one of them like makes me choke that was just absolutely beautiful and i just think that he's gonna have they're gonna have a set at fletcher it's gonna probably i imagine they'll leave here with a lot more fans and i would expect i think they're in the studio now i would expect at some point um them getting a lot more attention than they've gotten so far because the guy can really sing i mean he sounds a little bit like anthony um but like just from, you know, Asheville and singing, you know, all country songs. Um, and then, you know, all the, the, the young hip hop and DJ stuff. I mean, Cashmere Cat, somebody I've wanted to get every year. His price has only gone up, he's, you know, because he's become more famous and he's done more stuff. He's been out with uh, Ariana Grande and like, you know, like he's, he's it's just going to be incredible to see him play Cam on Saturday night and that closing night party that kind of Jamie XX um, threw last year. Um, you know, Father, Gold Link, all these local MCs like Chulo and Ace Henderson, um, Chaz French, who's also from the D.C. area, like Gold Link. I think a lot of that stuff, and then the DJs like Jubilee and DJ Earl and all that, I think that's, we've always been good at garage rock. We, you know, this year with Rocky Erickson, forgot to mention Rocky Erickson, who we've never had and really I don't think has ever played the triangle, um, at least not in, you know, and I don't think ever probably yeah, is going to play. Only been in North Carolina one time. Yeah, I think he's played it. Asheville yeah. once. He's Rocky Erickson's. You know, just sort of a dream booking for us, and we've done well with all that psych and and garage rock stuff and the, and and the harder music. You know, the metal is always a strong suit of ours. I feel like, but this year I think we really um, added a lot to that with a lot of the you know kind of alternative up and coming hip hop and DJ stuff. No can do. Also from uh, California, he's the founder of Hell, Hellfire Club which is the label that Mike Eagle is on, who did a really good job last year at Hopscotch and uh, No Can Do. He's, he's got a really great record from last year um, called Jimmy Locke. That, that's, that's amazing. We could, we could go through every single artist on this list probably and tell you something good about him. In fact, you know, in terms of what we think. But, you know, the key to anybody listening who's not familiar with bands on the poster, and we'd never expect when we drop a lineup that everyone is going to go, oh, my God, all my favorite bands are playing because that's not what Hopscotch is. It probably never will be. And the place to find all that information um, 
pretty easily is on our website at hopscotchmusicfest.com where it says lineup and then every band has a has a bio there's some press clippings it's a youtube clip or a couple songs so you at least can hear every single artist that's listed on our the lineup that we put out yesterday you can hear music from them so if you have any curiosity at all or you know you say well i only know this many bands what about the rest you can find out or i don't know any of them why did they do this lineup why are these people <laughs> playing this festival that's supposed to be good then you can see for yourself if you want to, you know, go f- listen to Bully or go listen to May Irwin and see what you think. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that people um, may not have expected, um, but definitely happy about, at least I am, um, is the the pairing of X and Dwight Yoakam and those kinds of things. I was just kind of curious if um, when booking, you guys take into consideration these kinds of um billings together because it seems really thought out um especially i think another thing i noticed was like a lot of boston scene stuff like mitski and pile and leapling seems like they're all coming from certain um backgrounds at least do you, do you consider those kinds of things when booking well real quick one thing we have to i mean i'd be remiss but we can't take credit for the ex dwight yokum idea fully because i was sitting having a beer with the owner of slims van alston and he said well if you're gonna and yokum wasn't confirmed yet but he said well if you're gonna get yokum you should try and get john doe um, or, you know, or X. And I said, well, yeah, we've been talking about X already uh, to play the festival. And he said, we got to put them on the same bill. And I said, God, we hadn't even really thought about that yet. <laughs> We're going to put X somewhere else in a club. And so that came about really, you know, shout out to Van, who probably isn't listening. Uh, he uh, he kind of, you know, threw that idea that, t- you know, two things I was already booking would make sense better together. And I, I should have known that uh, on my own. And I, I kind of did once he mentioned it, but I just... Once I told Nathan, he was like, oh, yeah, we, we definitely should do that. And now we're really happy that we are. Um, the Boston scene, which has been bubbling, if you will, for a couple of years, has been good to us already with Potty Mouth and um, Krill. Krill. And there's more than that. Speedy Ortiz. They've all played Hopscotch. And now we've been able to get uh, a band called Pile that we were just discussing all fair that we're all very excited about playing Hopscotch. Um, Mitski, they're on the same bill with uh, Leapling and then. SMLH, which is a local band, will be playing the same bill at Tiernanog. Um, I think you know something about them, John. And so uh, <laughs> we're excited. Yeah, I mean, Boston has just got the Western Massachusetts, Boston sort of underground rock punk-ish uh, garage scene is pretty untouchable at the moment, and we're just happy that they're coming down to Raleigh for it. Cool. So uh, when do you think people could expect a sort of finalized schedule, um, since it seems like you guys are considering different... Well, you know, I was, Nathan and I, was, so it's funny, we should probably address the delayed announcement. Uh, and I think I did in the last segment where, you know, the public had been really on top of us the past couple of weeks because we had said lineup coming out in April. Well, part of the reason we said the lineup was coming out in April is because the lineups always come out in April. And I just figured we'd have it done by April because in five years that I've done this, we've always had it done in April. It wasn't, you know, we learned a few years ago to be at least smart enough to not say April 19th or April 14th, because then we found ourselves staying up for 72 hours beforehand, trying to pull together these details because we'd put ourselves into a corner of a specific date. So this year I thought, well, you know, April itself will be fine. It's what we did last year and we can do it again. And what happened was that the sale of hopscotch took until mid February, like we discussed. And so while we had booked 50% of the artists roughly by mid February, I wasn't really willing to take any sort of big risks yet with the booking. So I was kind of slow playing our, you know, Lincoln headliners and our um, 
you know, our city plaza bands because once you get into those discussions with the agents and start making those commitments, you're doing hopscotch again. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to take on that risk. So, I mean, we kind of worked our way backwards this year where we were booking smaller clubs first on our way up. And so that set us back a tiny bit time-wise. And the reality is that most of the festival was done three weeks ago and we were just waiting on what we were waiting on eight and then it was six and then it was four. And it was just, we were waiting right along with the public to make sure that everything was in place and, and we also, in the past, had always dropped a lineup that was incomplete. And since we were so close this year, rather than drop an incomplete lineup and say, there's 15 more bands coming, we figured we'd just finish it up and then just suffer the, you know, the consequences with the public of being a little delayed on it. And, but the one advantage is, to answer your question, is that we, uh, we've also been able to schedule the thing. You know, we have to go back now. We haven't slept in a couple of days trying to get this thing out yesterday. Um, so it's kind of crazy and hectic at the end getting everything coordinated. But once we take pause here and go back, um, we have to do some fine tuning on it. But essentially the schedule's done and it's never been done this early. So while we were a little late with the lineup, we're ahead on the schedule. And I think the schedule will probably drop the third week of June or the last week of June once we make sure that we don't want to change it once it's out. So we're going to make sure that everybody's comfortable with where they're playing. But that was gave us the ability to yesterday announce the lineup by day for the first time for instance we used to just drop one large sort of eye chart of 140 bands we've now split them by day and that's because we're pretty much scheduled already so i expect to schedule probably in about five weeks or less i think cool that's very good to hear um yeah so uh one of the things um i was wondering uh is there anyone that you kind of wished you could have had that was just like on the cusp of getting on the lineup that like for whatever reason couldn't have? Well, we just were talking off air um, about Future Brown, for instance. So Future Brown was booked and then there was visa issues. So we kind of had our first cancellation of, of, a, of a group before the, f- the festival was even announced because there was stuff that went on with, you know, government visa stuff and artist visas and they weren't going to be able to make it back in September or one of the members uh, wasn't going to be able to make it back, and therefore we lost out on Future Brown. But, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you, it's kind of maniacal, the whole process. It's 140 artists, and we probably have 500 ideas. So if you'd sit with us through it, and I don't, I mean, it's not fun at all. I wouldn't think you'd want to <laughs> sit with it through us, sit through it with us. But, uh, yeah, there's there's so much up and down. I think that, I'm just going to, guess but i mean uh, there's no scientific way to say this but i think we probably end up getting like 95 percent of the people we strive to get um and uh, you know and then the five to ten percent of the rest are all just ideas that aren't going to work out because of timing or because of money or because of um you know the band's going to be in europe or there's just there's so many other factors and one thing about booking hopscotch that I think a lot of the public, you know, from the, I mean, I just say this in a small percentage of the reaction we get on Twitter is sort of like, I mean, I saw someone yesterday, it's like, why don't you book Future Islands? They're so easy to get, you know, and it's, well, the reality is Nathan's like, he's close, I mean, he's best friends in Future Islands, and we know them, and they've played Hopscotch three of the five years, but they're going to be in Europe during Hopscotch, and they're also just doing a lot of other different things and it's just because you know a band or you know you've had them before it doesn't make any band easy quote unquote to book because you're trying to do it eight to nine months in advance we do the lion's share of the booking between december uh well really january 1st december january february march that's you know 
That's six, seven, eight, nine months out. And a lot of people in life don't know what they're doing eight months in advance, let alone, you know, a band that has a lot of different, they might be in the studio, they, somebody in the band might be getting married or having a baby or, you know, they don't know if they're touring. So it's not quite as just like, hey, this is hopscotch on the line. Do you want to play? You have to say yes. It's more of a finessing, the, you know, relationship with bands and agents that take some time and that's just part of the process. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of uh, some of the public outcry speaks to the excited anticipation for the festival in general. Uh, I mean, I, I, we were all just very excited to hear what it was. Uh, listen, we it was like kind of the best thing that I've ever seen for yeah. us, at least, because we uh, we were a little overwhelmed with the reaction of us being late with the lineup, including the, you know the indie writing an article about the lineup not being out, you know that, and show that it shows that there's interest, and yeah. that's we were, you know, it makes us really happy. It was we made us unhappy that we weren't able to provide it when we said we would in April, but at the same time we knew it was coming. We knew we weren't sort of like pulling the wool over anybody or just doing anything duplicitous. It was just taking time to finish, and again, rather than just drop what we had, we were so close to finishing. We figured we'll just wait it out another two weeks if that's what it's going to take and that's what it ended up taking i think we probably would have had to make a move soon probably this week even if we didn't have the last four or five bands that we wanted we just said we're going to drop what we've got and then we'll we'll finish it up but we ended up getting the whole thing completed we've never dropped a complete full lineup or we haven't done that in four years i don't think and maybe we did it the first year but the whole thing's there um you can see it on hopscotchmusicfest.com and again, there's the lineup that you can go through individually by band and listen to. So, no, I, I mean, in a, in a weird way, we really appreciated all the heat we were getting because it showed that people, if we weren't getting any heat, that would have been a terrible sign for the future of the festival. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, so you were talking about um, discovering some of these bands on the website itself. Uh, I think one of the hallmarks of Hopscotch Music Festival is the fact that it's so good at discovering and showcasing these um, lesser-known and up-and-coming acts. What goes into the process of kind of trying to find these mysterious groups and prospecting for these acts, like, say, Hecta or something like that? Uh, it's basically just at the end of 2014, looking at a lot of year-end lists, um, looking at bands that you know you like that are on tour, who they're taking with them. That's a good sign a lot of the times. Um just listening to a lot of music and trusting yourself. If me and Greg both like them, I think usually we feel pretty good about that. Um, so it's just, it's really just a lot of listening to music and, and just searching and searching and searching. Just uh, a lot of hours on Google, <laughs> just trying to find what you can. In uh, local weeklies, you know, different cities, you might look up the Baltimore's version of the Indie Week, see what their year-end list said, Atlanta's, Boston's, stuff like that, and just try to find what you think is going to be good next year. Yeah, the reality is, I mean, it, for all the people that say, like, in the music industry, quote-unquote, which we've never really thought we're a part of because it's just we're small and we're just sort of off on our own little island in Raleigh, and yes, we've garnered some national attention, and yes, people do come and travel from faraway locales for it. I mean, the industry, whatever that means, and I'm doing air quotes right now, is just, it, it's been talked about, about like, oh, nobody makes it, and it's terrible for the artists and all these things, but one thing that's absolutely for sure true is it seems there's more people making music, and if there's not more people making music, there's more people being heard because of the internet, because of Bandcamp, because of the outlets that they have. They don't need, uh, you know, when I grew up, the only way you could hear music was either on MTV, the radio, or from your local record store, which happened to be really, in my town, the mall. 
you know <laughs> so that you know the only music you could possibly hear <clears throat> was on some sort of label that had paid a band to put a record out that then would go into the shelves of a mall record store and so for better or worse whatever people want to say about the state of the industry the reality is there's thousands of bands right now that I'm interested in and like that you know 10 years ago you would never have a chance to even know about so that helps us in some ways and also makes our job more difficult because we're trying to you know curate if you will or pull together 140 of them from well-known to totally unknown, some of whom, like Hecta, are completely unknown because the label hasn't even talked about, you haven't even introduced who they are yet, but we got a tip from from Mac, who you know is playing Hopscotch and runs Merge, that there's a band that we might be interested in and we should book, and so we did. We booked Hecta and we took a chance. We got a little peep of the record, and but that's somebody that, you know, that, so unknown that they don't exist technically yet. So we booked two of those bands this year. One of them's Piecers. Um, another band so there's you know there's just a lot of reading a lot of listening a lot of time spent in the six months because unfortunately between now and hopscotch i won't get a chance to listen to as much music because of the nature of the job so i'll miss a four-month chunk of new music that i'll have to revisit in october potentially for next year you know for instance Godflesh put out a record last year uh, owen pallet put out a record i hadn't listened to owen pallet's new record very much until i get a chance to sit down in october and take a breather and that's when we figured out, like, yeah, it was really time to invite him to Hopscotch. And also, you know, he's going to be our improviser in residence. So he'll play his own set, but he'll also be around for two other days um, playing with other, sitting in with other performers. Because we've, we've got this tradition of an improviser in residence and we're pretty blown away that he's going to be doing it. But there's a lot of music you can miss, even if it is your job to listen to music, because there's so much of it. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so if you, you kind of mentioned the... Um the process of, of, or the website as a resource, rather. Um, do you have any other sort of advice, maybe beyond even um, discovering some of the bands that are playing on the bill uh, for someone who's uh, going to Hopscotch for the first time? There's some videos on YouTube that you can see. They're short, but they're recap videos that kind of give you an idea of what the scene, quote-unquote, is like. And, you know, the reality is we could tell you that it. The, our main stage is in Raleigh City Plaza, which is on Fayetteville Street, right below the Marriott and the Sheridan. And we build that out into basically what is a 5,500-person amphitheater for three nights. And we put three artists up there each night, or two on Thursday and then three on Friday and Saturday, in what is essentially like a big summer outdoor concert. And then the rest of the festival takes place in a variety of different indoor rooms from the Lincoln Theater and Slims and Kings and the Poorhouse Clubs to beautiful rooms like the uh, Fletcher Opera Theater in the Duke Energy Center to a church that's downtown. We try and kind of program every available indoor space that works to produce bands in. And, and in between then, it's just a lot of frenzied people walking on the streets, saying hello to each other, having fun, eating, drinking, walking around, and staying up too late and getting up too early. <laughs> and that's kind of what it's like. I mean, that's the experience of Hopscotch for sort of 72 frenzied hours and, um, but you know, you can always check those band websites. If you don't like just the one or two song primer you see on our website, there are links to their band camps, their sound clouds, their websites. Um, you know, you can pretty, you can delve in and if you don't know who Rocky Erickson is, you could spend an hour on the internet and probably know everything about Rocky Erickson. And even though he's one of the most famous musicians, unknown musicians or little known musicians in the world, um, you can, you know, do damage in 45 minutes to an hour just on the internet learning, you know, 
tons of stuff about Rocky Erickson and uh, and any of these artists. Why is why was there um, a decision to forego uh, the Memorial Auditorium and replace it, so to speak, with a um, Thursday night city plaza? Well, we didn't replace it uh, with a Thursday plaza, but I did see that written up somewhere. But yeah, it's um, last year we foregoed Memorial because it's interesting. 2014, we didn't use Memorial Auditorium when we'd been using it the past couple years because the city was doing a $10 million renovation on its HVAC system and it was under construction. So we could, we were forced not to use it. And then we had the most successful hopscotch we ever had financially, and both in terms of total number of tickets we sold and financially. And that's we kind of replaced it last year with a Thursday Plaza show. We didn't have Memorial. So rather than save that money that we would have spent to book it, we said, well, let's do a Thursday Plaza show. We have the stage out there. We've got all the toilets. We've got all the bars set up. Let's do it for an extra night. It ended up being really successful. And so when Memorial became available again this year, we thought about it long and hard. But the reality was we just thought, why not replicate what we did last year? It worked. It was really good. Um, it, it seemed really good in terms of fan experience. We've got really good feedback from last year. And um, we we were successful enough to carry it forward through to 2015. So rather than go back and say, well, let's risk a bunch more money and do, you know, fans expect a Thursday Plaza show now, so let's do that and do Memorial. It just became something that we were going to avoid this year. I do think Memorial would would be in our discussions in September to probably be a, well, I, I would say a probably definite for next year, but that's going to have something to do with the new owner's input, and that's going to have to do with how well we do this year. Um, you know, we're still in a space, we're still in a place as a company that hopscotch, current hopscotch is what sort of defines the next one. And we, we had a good one last year, and we think we can replicate that, and that's what we're, gonna aim, what's what we're aiming to do. But I do I like the idea of using Memorial again just because it's such an awesome room. But it just costs a lot of money to book the bands to, to kind of get into Memorial. And then we have to balance that out with ticket sales, of course. And if we can do that, then we'll do it. Um, so... Uh... Are there any plans for, because I remember last year there were um, three official day parties that were um, presented by the festival. Are there any plans for um, official day parties or other day parties this year? Um, We have, I think, so far only booked one band for the official day party. There will be official day parties again, um, but that's normally something we start planning after the the lineup is is booked. We've got some ideas that I think are going to be good, but nothing set in stone yet other than the one band. Right. Yeah, they're definitely going to be day parties. But we say every, this every year, the, you know, the day parties only exist because the festival exists, and without ticket sales and, the, and, and people attending the regular festival, one thing that differs between us and South By, besides South By, is enormous and super rich and successful, <laughs> is that uh, one, one major difference is that, you know, you can see artists on there. They don't really have a traditional festival lineup like we announce, you know, and that way they have perf- they have people doing showcases and there is a way to see the 2,500 or 3,000 some odd crazy number of bands they have. But you can see any of those bands five, six, seven different times, whether it's at a Converse party or a Blue Jean Company party or some other thing. And at Hopscotch, the lineup that we put out yesterday, some of these local bands will probably play some day parties. But really... You know, the, the way to see these bands, the way to see Deer Hunter and Battles and Godflesh and Pusha T and, you know, Rocky Erickson is to have a wristband. And so we have wristbands for sale online now. 
Uh, we only have 175 VIPs last time I checked this morning, and we tweeted that out. And so that sale is going incredibly well for us. And so, again, if you're interested in a VIP, you might want to look at the, the the possibility of getting it now because there's 175 left. We have three-day wristbands available, and we'll put on one-day wristbands on sale when the schedule comes out next month along with our single city plaza tickets. But those tickets are what drive it. And then the day parties follow up and they're booked by the clubs and other local bands and different sponsors and things. And they enhance the experience for everybody. And they're a great part of hopscotch, but they're kind of nowhere near what the actual festival experience of doing hopscotch fest is like. Um, I think uh, every year it's uh, pretty amazing to see some of the um, integration of the community involved with the festival, maybe outside of music. Um, we mentioned earlier design scotch and things like that, design festival, um, and poster scotch and some other art, visual art type of things. Um, are there any plans for things like that using the community in non-musical component ways? Yeah, there, there are. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned the design festival because we took a risk last year um, added to the risk that we were taking and, and we're worried about it a little bit. Um, try to be smart with the risk you take, but then you can never tell. And what we did was we partnered with new kind. who's a, a local company here. That's in branding communications, creative firm, um, the design firm that's right off of Hillsborough street here, right after off Brooks Avenue actually. And, and new kind and hopscotch partnered to produce the hopscotch design festival, which is the first of its kind in North Carolina kind of, again, one of the first of its kind in the South. There's a pretty cool one in Charleston, and there's one in um, sort of rural Georgia that's really cool, but nothing like it in North Carolina and definitely nothing like it in the Triangle and nothing like it really in the country attached to a music festival. So we did a design festival that brought in, I mean, it was crazy what we were able to do in terms of attracting people in the first year, I think, with the help of the music festival. We had um, two world-class architects, we had um, a guy from Chicago who was President Obama's uh, chief technology officer at the 2012 campaign. He's kind of one of the smartest uh, tech minds in America. We had Annie Atkins, who is a film uh, set designer and graphic designer from Ireland, come over. And she had done the, less, the last Wes Anderson movie, uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel. We had a lot of people like that, plus a lot of local designers um, doing incredible things, all from different, just like we have different genres of music. We had architecture and graphic design and um, technology and food and film and all these different fields represented. And we actually made a tiny bit of money. We made like $2,000 doing the whole thing. And so that was unheard of because it was a first year thing. And so we've been inspired to do the next one because music was a little bit delayed. And because of the sale, we, um, We've slow played the announcement, and because of some changes made to our website, we will be announcing details about the second annual Hopscotch Design Festival next week. And I've had some meetings with a guy who's originally from Raleigh that lives in San Francisco now. If And there's going to be a small component this year to Design Fest, but I think Design Fest has a chance to really become a huge non-music component to Hopscotch Weekend. And, and based on meeting with this guy, Jake Levitis, and and doing so, he does some huge, awesome prototyping festival type things in San Francisco, and we're looking to replicate a little bit of that with the Design Fest. Um, there will be more on the street components to Design Fest, maybe not in fifteen, but in two thousand sixteen. I get the sense that if you go downtown, you're going to know that it's Hopscotch Design Fest, and that it's happening in multiple venues throughout town, but also just kind of slowly, maybe taking over the city for a week, um, like you know, bigger Design Fest in Berlin and other places do. That's I think that would be a lot of fun for the community here 
And uh, the more we can offer outside of just the typical talks that we do, the better. And, of course, you're going to have some poster scotch again, I'm sure. There's um, – who else is uh, – site work um, – is a couple friends of ours who does pretty awesome stuff with some art grants and they add a, a visual and a, a cool interactive art component to hopscotch weekend. We, we wish we had more time and energy. I do for sure to devote to those pursuits, but it just seems like the years of, are flying by. I mean, six months go and the festival and the, the lineup's got to come out and then four or five months later, the festival happens. But I do think that as we settle in with the new owners, uh, hopscotch is going to have, I think we're going to enhance and, and better all those components as time goes and we become less of like running a startup out of our garage feeling, basically. Great. So um, I'm going to think I'm going to play some more acts from the festival coming up and we will talk more with Greg and Nathan from Hopscotch after that. This is Battles. <sighs> WKNC, that was Moon Duo with Free the Skull, uh, one of the many great bands playing Hopscotch 2015. Uh, I'm here in the studio talking with Greg and Nathan from Hopscotch, and uh, before we let them go, we thought we might do a little giveaway for Hopscotch. Uh, Do you guys have any sort of trivia questions you thought you might want to ask for that? Hmm, not really, (laughs) but yeah, we can. Uh, Let's give, definitely give some, let's give a couple passes away. Let's give a three-day three-day full three-day pass to the festival thursday friday and saturday and we look at the lineup and come up with a question well i can hear i've got one okay we'll just okay. do it about the headliner okay and we tweeted about it today too because you had an awesome incredible really profile written about him in grantland online recently dwight yokum our saturday headliner put out a record last month what's the name of it all right, so what is the name of uh, the record that Dwight Yoakam put out last month? You can call in for a three-day pass to Hopscotch Music Festival. The phone lines are 919-515-0881 and 919-515-2400. This is Tycho. WKNC, that was Deer Hunter playing this year's Hopscotch Music Festival 2015. Uh, We just gave away some tickets to that, a three-day pass. Um, I'm here in the studio with Greg and Nathan from Hopscotch, and I think we might do another pair. Would you guys like to do that? One one more pair would be great. Cool. Do we got a question for for everyone? On Thursday, September 10th, there will be two bands playing in City Plaza this year for our headlining show before everyone breaks out and goes to the various clubs for the nighttime entertainment. The first band will be Deer Hunter, which is a band from Atlanta that we expect, I think, are going to be putting out a new record here at the end of the summer, early fall. Might line up pretty well with Hopscotch. And then a legendary band from Canada called Godspeed You, Black Emperor. Tell us where the city and the province Godspeed You, Black Emperor is from. And maybe win yourself a three-day pass to Hopscotch. <laughs> All right. So three-day pass to Hopscotch, if you can answer where Godspeed You, Black Emperor, are from, both city and province, uh, you can win. Those numbers are 919-515-0881 and 919-515-2400. This is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Thanks. Only on 881.